Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. On this week's interview episode, I am interviewing Florence Wilcock. Florence is a consultant obstetrician delivering clinical care to women and families in the maternity service, currently at Kingston Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. She's also the chair of the London Maternity Voices Working Group. She's a writer and has been published in the BMJ, and she's also the host of the podcast, The Obs Pod. So one of the reasons why I wanted Florence on is that on her podcast, episode 32, she published an episode called The Dark Side, and it was around talking about the dark side of management. It's a really good episode. And it really, it did make me laugh because I could relate to a lot of the things that she was talking about. And I did think, oh, finally, somebody understands um, from my point of view as a manager. I thought it'd be really good for us to talk about it because I work a lot with clinical directors from a primary care side. Florence is on the secondary care side, but the commonality, you know, like it's the same. It's the same challenges, same opportunities that we are all facing, whether you are managers or your clinical directors. But I think this is going to be a really good episode for those clinical directors and managers supporting the clinical directors to understand how you can improve your working relationship and performance together. And without ruining the ending, this podcast does have a happy ending. And I think both of us, I love being a manager, supporting clinical directors and other healthcare executives. Florence's advice to people thinking about stepping up into that clinical director, clinical lead role. It is to do it, is definitely to do it, but definitely learn from our mistakes and learn from our advice, I would suggest. Enjoy and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Florence. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's always, it's it's nice, but it's always a little bit nerve wracking when you interview another podcast host. Do you think? I, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that much of it, but yeah, I guess so. 
it makes me feel like I need to I need to do it all proper now. <laughs> oh, I don't think so because my po- my podcast is quite amateur, so it's kind of very DIY. So um, it's not. Yeah, it's I'm not. just impressed you can interview anyone because that's like you know tech tech savvy that I haven't necessarily got yet. Oh yeah, so yours is yeah, it's just you. Uh, yeah. Before, so we kind of jumped in, but if you could share with our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do today. So I'm an NHS obstetrician at uh, Kingston Hospital, which is southwest London. And I've done a, a range of kind of local and regional roles over time. So um, I've led my maternity service. I've been a divisional director at my hospital and I've worked um, for the London Maternity Clinical Network. And then more recently, a year ago, I set up my own podcast, which is called the OBS pod, which was to just talk about life as an NHS obstetrician. Your podcast has grown quite a lot in quite a short space of time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's going really well. I started it mainly because, let's face it, I love talking um, (laughs) and I'm really passionate about um, maternity care and improving women's experience of maternity care. And I went to a talk where I heard someone talk about their own podcast which was about fertility a woman called fertility poddy and she said it was very easy to set up a podcast and I thought I'd give it a go and it's aimed at both healthcare profession healthcare professionals and pregnant women just trying to kind of diffuse a bit of the kind of mystique of of obstetrics I guess make it a bit more transparent with some information about particular topics but just kind of all things about birth and what it's like to work in a maternity service. Okay I think I would say so I've got three children when I had my first child and you know when you've got like a million questions and everything's like oh my god this is happening this is happening this is happening and I really didn't like my midwife and my experience of the of my all of my kind of the my interactions with professionals wasn't the greatest with my and then I had the same person again for the second so by that time you know like with your second time around you're like yeah whatever it's going to come out (laughs) it's going to come out my third experience was incredible it was like the stars aligned and everybody that we saw and my delivery just was just oh that's fantastic it was absolutely absolutely incredible but really good and I always think and I remember when I had Tali I was like obviously high on gas and air but I was like I did it I can't yeah, believe yeah. that I did it and I, I was standing up and it was all like I remember walking in about four o'clock in the morning and then at four twenty. I had her and I yeah. looked at Mark and was like this yeah I felt very 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 proud of myself whereas the other two it was not like that yeah like I that think I think if you can get it right you know a, a positive good birth experience you know whatever that looks like for for that person can be so empowering and and so beneficial and and the flip side if it's not a great experience that can have a really negative impact on that that woman and how she feels about her, her birth. Definitely. Somebody online said, because we connected online somehow. I think it was like a friend of a friend was like, Florence needs to speak to Tara, Tara needs to speak to Florence. So I was looking through, kind of looking through the title of your podcast. And I was a bit like, it's not, I don't think it's really for me. And then there was one, I can't remember the name now, but there was one called, it was around management. Yeah, what's, what's it's it called? called The Dark Side. And I thought, and it just really, 
<laughs> I was like, I need to listen to this. Yeah. And I just giggle. I just, it was to me, it wasn't like, I just thought it was really funny because I could just relate to all of the things mm. that you were saying. And I work with clinical directors and I was a bit like, I really would like to have a conversation about this because when I introduce myself, I'll never forget going to the RCGP conference. I was really excited and people would say, so what do you do? And I would say, I'm a manager. And they'd go, oh, look at the time and just walk off. <laughs> Yes. Like, yes. and I always say to people, and like, even worse, if I say I'm a consultant and then I, they'll think I'm, you know, I'm a medic. I'm, like, I'm not a medic. Like I'm yeah. a management consultant. That's even worse than saying I'm just a manager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... I would agree. <laughs> Um, so I thought it'd be really good to hear from a consultant's point of view yeah. on management on, on this podcast. Mm. So I think one of the things um, you said is that when you're not in a management position, you kind of, everybody kind of criticizes, you know, like the clinical mm. director, the person that stepped up into the management position. They've either stepped up because they want to, or they've stepped up because everybody else has stepped back. They've stepped into the shoes of the other person who they've been slating, going like, I could do a better job. Why are they making those decisions? Why are they making these decisions? And then you turn into that person making those really, really difficult decisions. So mm. I thought it'd be helpful for us to start there. Tell us how you found yourself as a a clinical director? Yeah, so I was quite a new consultant, actually. It was relatively early on, maybe two or three years into my consultant job. And when I was appointed, I was appointed as a labour ward lead. So I was appointed to a sort of leadership role. But I very quickly found that kind of everything was interconnected in maternity. So it's very difficult to change something on the labour ward without changing something in the antenatal clinic or in the postnatal wards or other areas. So I started to get more and more involved in the kind of running of, of the maternity service. And at that time, actually, we had one clinical director who did both obstetrics and gynecology. And they made a decision to split the role. And the person who was in the role wanted to do just the gynecology bit. And so I was kind of a natural fit to do the obstetrics maternity part of the role. I think I was super enthusiastic and I was probably a bit naive. And exactly as you just said, it's that kind of thing of, well, I could do this. You know, obviously it's easy and obviously it's, you know, we know what we should be doing and why we should be doing it. And I, I thought the idea was attractive that you could improve things for a bigger number of women. So if you improve the service, rather than just improving the care of women you see one-on-one face-to-face in your clinical situations, you could have an impact that would improve the care of hundreds of women or over the year, thousands of women. And so that was what really kind of spurred me on to think, yeah, this is something I want to do. And then when did you find out, how long into the role did you think this is this potentially is not what I thought it was going to be? Probably about a year because you start to realise there's a lot of responsibility. So you can't just do the enjoyable service improvement stuff that you're interested in and fired up about. There's all this other stuff that you don't appreciate is there um, that you've got to do. So um, things would come in 
I don't know, you get a CQC alert um, or you have a problem with a piece of equipment or people are unhappy about the rotor or, you know, stuff that is kind of the normal business as usual. So setting the budget or doing people's job plans that are really not that attractive to do and are difficult to do and which you probably don't have any training for or experience of doing are suddenly your responsibility. It's interesting you talk about training because I do think when clinical lead roles come up, there's no real, and tell me if I'm talking out of turn, but I've often experienced, we're looking for a clinical lead, somebody will put their hand up and it's a bit like, well, you're a doctor, you know, like you've got the passion or, you know, like, please do it, please. Yeah. <laughs> please, please. You kind of smiled. So that means yes. Yeah. Whereas if we're looking for a manager, they have to have prints too. They have to have this. They have to have that. They have to be able to demonstrate that they can manage. But to be a clinical lead, mm. it, it's like a different standard. There is an automatic assumption that you will be fantastic at the job because you are clinical, because you are a doctor. Yeah, I think that's very true. And it's something that, you know, training's changed a bit now. And there are some more formal kind of leadership management training, like, um, for example, the DARSI programme. But it's something that you haven't necessarily focused on in your training. It's all been about clinical skills. And um, I agree, it's, it's very much who's willing rather than who is actually capable. And I think that is a problem. And that, and I have met some clinical managers who have been more kind of careerist about, actually, I want a management career and I'm going to actually go and do, you know, a master's or, you know, do some, a King's Fund program or something like that. But I would say that's the exception rather than the rule. And, and usually you find yourself in a situation that you're quite unprepared for but I also think it depends on how you work with the the non-clinical team so the best work I did as a as a clinical director I did in collaboration so we had a triumvirate which was the manager the head of midwifery and myself and accepting that actually I don't need to have all the management expertise because I'm going to work with this manager who's got that expertise and I'm going to bring my clinical knowledge and know-how and they're going to bring their expertise and the head of midwifery is going to bring hers and we're going to work together. You don't have to be an expert in everything, but you do need some understanding. Definitely. And you've got to have that relationship with your manager. You know, your manager is crucial and understanding what their skills are and how their skills are complementary to your skills. When you were a clinical lead, did you, how many hours a week did you, were you kind of hired to do that role? So as clinical director, theoretically I had a day a week, but you know, it completely expands. It takes over everything. So any spare minute that you're not doing clinical work, you would be doing stuff. When I was a divisional director, which was managing pretty much a third of the hospital, I had two days a week. But at least one day of that was taken out with meetings, you know, executive team meetings or trust-wide meetings. 
So you've still only got a day to actually run your own services and do all the things you need to do. So I think the other problem is, although it's really good that you keep your clinical practice because that kind of flattens the hierarchy and means that you're still in touch with what's happening in the day to day. Actually, it's quite a difficult balance to be half the time being a director or manager and leading things and half the time trying to be a clinician working because really the management role or leadership role in itself is a full-time job. And I work with lots of primary care network clinical directors. We were on a webinar yesterday where we were ta- they were talking about this, you know, that they want to do it. And but what is something that they started off loving is turning into something they hate doing because there just isn't enough hours in the day. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, from a productivity perspective, one of the things I'm exploring, and I have been exploring this with my coach around honouring my yeses and nos and feeling good about the times I say no, because that allows me to honour the things I said I want to do and I really, really want to do. Can you do that in, you know, in your role? It's easier for me because I'm I'm not patient facing, I'm not clinician, I'm in my office. But do you think you can, can a clinical director still have that same mindset? I think you can. I think I wasn't very good at that, being honest. I think I'm not very good at saying no. So I would say yes, and then I would end up kind of overwhelmed. I think there were points when people said to me, you're clinical director or divisional director. So you're a director, you're not a doer. And so trying to get other members of the team to do some of the work and me oversee the work, I would say was really important. So I think it's it's kind of using the strengths of the rest of the team, whether that is your manager or your nursing or midwifery colleagues or other clinicians, whoever that is, so that you are not doing all the doing. Can you, could you organise your week where you say, okay, on Mondays, I'm going to spend two hours in the morning looking at my emails, then I'm going to be doing director stuff, and then I'm going to be doing patient stuff, or does it all just merge into one? Can you be really selective with how you use your time? You can with the clinical stuff, because the clinical stuff is very set. So you could say so you'd have, you know, well, this is my clinic for this half day or and this yeah. is my labor ward session for this day. So actually the other stuff just can't impinge on that. With the management stuff, it'd be harder because, you know, you could be in meetings all day and then you come to the evening and you realize that there's been a whole load of urgent stuff that's kind of piled in while you weren't looking. And certainly when I was divisional director. One of the key things was I had a really good PA who would try and sift through my emails and flag, actually, this is really a priority, Florence. You need to look at this and, you know, what what can wait and what can't wait. So having good support, definitely really important. 
I think throughout this, our time together, I think what would be really, really nice is if our listeners can go away, you know, some really practical things that they can do mm. um, to just try to make things a little bit easier and get them back to yeah. doing the things they really enjoy doing. Um, so you've talked about delega- uh, delegation. We've talked a little bit about productivity. I'd like to talk about dealing with conflict. So in your situation, suppose you've got people directly working with you, but I'm sure you have to influence and direct people that may not be your direct reports yes or they may be your direct reports because they're at that moment they're your colleagues and you're in charge of them but that doesn't mean they're going to listen to you or want to do what you want them to do okay <laughs> so <laughs> of course yeah. particularly bearing in mind some of the people you might be trying to persuade to do things are people that you know a year or two ago were telling you to do things so I mean, like I mean like one Florence. of the hardest things I had to do was try and implement 98 hour cover of the labor ward so that was to change the consultant job plans so that we would be on site till 10 30 at night every night seven days a week so you can imagine how popular that was and It's about kind of trying to work out how to influence people. So who are the people in a group that they'll lead and other people will follow and trying to have conversations with them ahead of time to kind of give them the heads up what you're thinking, why you're thinking it. Because if you can get them on board, then you'll get other people following their lead. Thinking about, I'm I'm quite a gut instinct person. I kind of go with the seat of my pants a bit. But I know other people like to digest information. So giving people written information in advance, examples of rotors, what that was going to do to their pay, what that would do in terms of their time off and trying to kind of bring people along with you. But it was really difficult. And also getting other people to help you influence. So because it was a really important thing for the whole hospital, getting the support of the chief exec and some of the other directors to come and help me and the HR director to help me kind of see through and work through what that would look like. But it took a lot of meetings and quite a long time and and giving people a lot of time to reflect and think and uh, individual discussions as well as group discussions to get that to happen. And even now I look back and think, I've no idea how we managed to make that happen. And actually, I was reflecting on it in December because it's 10 years since we implemented it. And now it's completely taken for granted that that's how we work. And that's probably the thing I'm most proud of, but also was the most difficult thing I did. At what point do, so we always talk about, you know, like collaborative leadership and, you know, working with the willing and bringing people along. At what point, if ever, do you have to say not that you would ever say say it like this but this is the strategy I'm the director and this we have we have to do this or is it is it more like come on guys and doing it bit by bit by bit yeah so we did yeah in the end everybody came with us except for two people who really kind of held out and just didn't want to do it and and so it did get to a point where we had to say from this date we are doing it 
And then we had to negotiate separately with those individual people. And it was very hard to have to kind of draw a line in the sand. But because we had a majority of people that were willing to do it and we knew this is national guidance and this is what we have to do. Yeah, there was a point where we had to say, yeah, you know, actually, this is how it is. And as a leader, or well, I suppose it's more of a personality. How do you, how did you manage those really difficult conversations? You sort of person that's like, this is the job, let's just crack on. Or do you go home and mull it over? And oh, I go home and mull it over. It's very stressful. I really take it to heart. So I think, yeah, if you ask my husband, he would probably be able to tell you as much about that time <laughs> as I could. I mean, I talk it through with him. I mean, you mentioned management consultant. At that time, he was a management consultant. So that was quite helpful, having my kind of hidden hidden coach who could tell me a bit about how to manage these things. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely would bring stuff home. Yeah. So having someone to listen at home and kind of make suggestions or at least just be there for me, really important. And so if we move on to um, accountability. So we had a really good discussion around, I think sometimes people don't like to step up because they're, they're they think that means they're accountable, you know, like mm. to deliver. And there are lots of, you know, it sometimes it feels like, and I feel like I'm bashing my own kind of profession. If the managers are accountable, but the clinical leads are more facilitators mm. of the endeavor. And if it doesn't go to plan or it doesn't happen, it's okay. But if the manager doesn't deliver then there, there's a question mark. There's a question mark yeah. above the head of that person. It's it's a really strange, interesting dynamic. Yeah, it is because it's. I think one of the key things that's different is also clinicians. They tend to stay, so they just stay put in one practice, one hospital. What tend to, not always. Whereas managers move quite a lot, you know, as part of their career progression. And definitely, I think there have been times where as a clinical director, you're thinking, well, what are you going to do to me? You can't actually fire me for this. You can fire me from being clinical director. But actually, if I'm fed up with doing it, that might be quite a relief. That might be quite good. But it's not going to affect my job and my livelihood and my clinical work. Whereas for a manager, your situation is much more precarious if you're not delivering and you're not performing. Well, actually, that's that's potentially your job on the line, isn't it? And your career and, and your progression. So I think it depends on what the model of management is. So for a time, we did service line management. And so although I was the clinical director or divisional director, I was responsible. I had to sign off the budget. I had to sign off um, key spending, take stuff to finance committee or capital um, spending committee and things like that. And it was that I was accountable and I did feel very accountable. I did feel a lot of pressure then to, you know, particularly when you're, you know what it's like with the NHS year on year, you've got to find more savings. So we'd have to find, you know, SIPs, cost improvement programs every year of how many percentage. And that felt like a lot of pressure. But at the end of the day, still, I didn't have the risk of if I can't deliver this, 
yeah, I'm going to get into trouble and it's going to be a problem. But at the end of the day, I can take it or leave it, this management job, in a way that the manager can't. Now we've moved back to a more traditional model where actually the managers are accountable for the budget and they sign that off. But I think that almost gives the clinicians a little bit of an excuse not to engage in some of those cost savings or cost benefit conversations. And I do think understanding a a clinician, how your service runs and what things cost and, you know, both staffing costs and equipment and drugs and, you know, going through your budget line by line and understanding it. I think I learned a lot from doing that. So although the accountability was uncomfortable, it, it meant when people are suggesting doing a new thing, I knew what were the right questions to ask and what the challenges might be and whether that might be beneficial and and the idea of balancing stuff up. So it's, you know, business cases and things like that became more important and rather than just a pointless paper exercise. Okay. Um, and my chief exec used to, when I was uh, managing, we were trying to become a foundation trust. And my chief exec, who, I mean, she was brilliant. She's a real um, inspiration to me, management-wise, actually. Um, She always said, you know, actually managing your budget and keeping within budget, that isn't, it's not optional. If you haven't got the money, you can't spend it. And if you haven't got the money, you can't maintain that service. Your service is not viable unless you're balancing things out. And the idea that you can just keep putting your hand in your pocket and spending stuff you haven't got, she was really emphatic that you just can't do that because you won't be able to run that service in a sustainable way. And that's not good for patients either. That has an impact on patients, patient care, if your service is not sustainable and, and viable financially. And I think that was a really good lesson to learn, which I think clinicians don't always understand because someone will just turn up and bail them out is I think what they tend to think. What other like key lessons have you learned about yourself from doing those um, clinical director roles? I think something really key when you're talking about kind of saying no, I think work-life balance, you've got to look at your work-life balance because Nobody else is going to look at your work-life balance, if you say to me. So I think, you know, people will keep giving you stuff. And if you keep saying yes, and you keep carrying on doing it, then you'll end up kind of burying yourself. So I think I could have said earlier on a few more no's and kept a bit more of an eye on, on the balance rather than just pushing myself harder and harder. So I'd definitely say work-life balance really important and you know be don't be afraid of admitting you've got limitations so you cannot be superhuman and do everything and understand everything you need the expertise of others whether that's the manager you're working with HR support business intelligence support you know those people have got very specific expertise that you haven't got and and use that so know that it's okay to ask other other people for their 
expert advice and help because that will enable you to do your job much better. Why do we, so lots of people that come on a podcast talk about this and I think, why are we still, why do we find it so hard? Why is it a lesson that that we only learn despite reading books and talking to other people and listening to other people where they say, you can say no, you don't have to do it all yourself. Why do we find it so hard? Why did you find it so hard when that would be the advice you would give to your husband, your colleagues, your Mm. friends? Why, yeah, why do we find it so hard? For me, it's a personal sense of responsibility. So I felt very responsible. And I I felt like if I wasn't doing something and something wasn't right or was going wrong, or like at one point I was in charge of the cancer pathway for, for breast services. And if we weren't meeting our two-week wait, target I would feel that was personally my responsibility and I mean that's stupid in a way because there's lots of different people involved in that pathway but it's that responsibility coming up from the different services and sitting with me it just felt like well I can't say no because actually I need to sort this out because this is my responsibility so I think understanding that it's not just you, but I don't know. I, I guess it's one of those things. It's easy to say and difficult to do, isn't it? You yeah. know, yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When did it get to the point where you thought, um, "I've done this. I've kind of, I've done my innings. It's now time to to step to the side and let somebody else take the helm." Yeah, I think so. With managing maternity that point came because I was going to step up and run the division with the divisional stuff I I think it's I felt like I was being very channeled into potentially being medical director at some point in the future and I felt I was getting further and further away from my kind of true passion which was maternity services And we had a change of chief exec at the hospital as well. And we were moving away from the kind of service line approach where we were having less autonomy. And I, to be honest, I just got to the bit where I I kind of burnt out. And so I, I stepped away from that and focused more on doing some regional maternity work with the London Clinical Network and getting back to my clinical roots getting kind of stuck in back to my my day-to-day patient care so I think I probably could have done a better job of thinking okay this is what's next and this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to walk away I, I think I kind of probably should have stepped away a bit sooner. So for our clinical directors that are listening that have got I suppose the the, the fortunate opportunity to work with a manager could you describe what a successful partnership looks like? I think get to know that person, understand what motivates them. I have some really good friends. So two managers I worked with during my time, neither of whom still are in hospital management, are two of my close friends now, actually. And I think For me, I realised that what motivated them was the same thing that motivates me. So 
managers get a bad name, but actually they just want to be running services to help make people better in exactly the same way clinicians do. They're just coming at it from a different angle and a different set of experiences and skills. So get to know that person and what motivates them and why why did they go into hospital management? You know, as you've already said, it's it can be a bit of a thankless task and and then understand what they bring to the table. So what knowledge have they got? There will be things that they are absolutely expert in and kind of pool your resources. What are you really good at? What are they really good at? Um, and work out how you're going to tackle the tasks you've got together and have regular one-to-ones or in my case it was a triumvirate so every week we would sit down and we'd each have a list of we need to talk about this that and the other and we would thrash stuff out together and bounce those ideas off each other and and I really felt that you know we worked better together you know the three of us made more than the sum of our parts if you know what I mean because we would spark off each other so have that regular meeting even if you think you've got nothing to discuss get together at least once a week just have a bit of a chat about what's going on and uh, stuff will happen and I think from a management perspective I it's the same it's the same advice and I think I work with a lot of people that they don't have I could say like their managers not all singing and all dancing from day one and that you just develop that person like you would do any other member of your team. And I think we all find it sometimes hard to delegate and let go because we want things done our way or people might not do it as quickly as we do it. But in the long term, you know, showing somebody how to do something a couple of times and supervising them to do it. And then once they've got it, then you don't have to worry about it. You're just the, you know, like you set the direction, then you approve and deny, you know, like you don't have to get involved in the nitty gritty. And I think there is a fear of letting, you know, like leaders in general, I think, until you've really mastered the art of delegation, you don't understand how amazing it can be. And sometimes I say, I yeah. think, oh my God, I've just had a team meeting. Then all this stuff happens. Yeah. And I'm and, not doing it. I think you're right. Trust is the, the biggest thing you know, trusting and having a kind of unified approach. So if you're going into a difficult meeting with difficult colleagues or, you know, a challenge, then as long as you and the manager are aligned and you trust each other, you know, you've got each other's backs, you know what you've prepared, what your approach is going to be and and trusting one another um, to, to go and do that if you're going off to a meeting on your own, you know, for, for me to do what I've agreed that will be in keeping with what the manager needs and for the manager to go off to their meetings and and do what we've agreed clinically, you know, so that you, you're, you're working together in that way. Thank you so much for joining me. And one thing I did want to say is that at the beginning of this podcast, I said, like, when I first saw your podcast, I wasn't sure if it was for me. And I did think And I wanted to say that whilst lots of the subjects are not related to what I do, I listen to you. I I think I listen to how you communicate and listen to the challenges and listen to the things you're talking about. And even though it may seem very removed from what I do on a day to day basis, there's still so much I can learn just as a as a leader. 
So, so I did think, um, or I would like to share with my listeners, even though um, you may not be in the world of obstetrics, there's still so much you can learn from other professionals. The whole point of the business of healthcare podcast is for other professionals to come on and for us to learn from them. It's not like managers to managers, clinicians to clinicians. We all do our jobs. There are deep differences but there are also lots and lots and lots of similarities and just the tiniest thing I think oh my god I can I can lift that and try to put that into my practice so yeah um, yeah no I completely agree thank you I, I think coming back to um what we said at the beginning about the episode the dark side I, I perhaps should explain so the reason I called it the dark side was a Star Wars reference so when I went into management, colleagues would say to me, oh, you know, she's gone to the dark side and that very negative attitude about management. But I would say if you're thinking about taking on a, a management or leadership role, go for it because it was incredibly in- interesting and intellectually stimulating. And I learned so much. And although it didn't end brilliantly for me. I don't regret doing it at all. I learned a tremendous amount. So although people may kind of go "Mm, quite negative, dark side, go for it. It, It's really worthwhile. Thank you. And if people want to find uh, your podcast, where can they, where can they find it? So they can find it if they just search the OBS pod. Um, It's on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google. It's yeah, it's everywhere. everywhere. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.